copy of the Word of God, 1 John chapter number 4. Here we are, it's hard to believe, the first day of the new year. And I can't think of any place better that I'd want to be to start the year off than in the house of God. And I trust that the Lord will help us today and that we can leave better and different than we come in this morning by the work of God. 1 John Chapter number four, when you found your place, if you're able and will to do so, let's stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. I want to begin reading this morning in verse number seven, and uh, if you keep your Bibles open, we're going to go to some other places uh, by the help of God in this book with some other chapters, but I want to read this morning in uh, chapter number four, beginning in verse number seven, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter and then we'll ask the Lord to help us today, and I trust that He will. First John chapter 4, and verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. We have known and believed that the love that God hath to us, God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God who he hath not seen? This And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We read these verses here this morning in 1 John chapter 4. There's a word that keeps coming up in this chapter and in these verses. And that's the word love. I want to preach this morning, if God will help me, for just a few minutes. I was praying and asking the Lord about the service today. And yesterday was listening 
uh, some ladies sing and they're singing that song that we sing here fairly often because he loved me. And the Lord got to working in my heart and he said that's what I want you to preach on is because he loved me. And so here this morning we have read from John's epistle here in 1 John and he's dealing with the subject of the love of God. Now here in this chapter, not just this chapter, but this entire book, there's some words that come up very frequently. We call them key words as we're studying of the Word of God. And in 1 John there happen to be three of them, and that is love and fellowship and know. Those are the three words that John is going to use most often in his epistle and they are the central things to the entire epistle of 1 John is having fellowship both with God and with one another and he's going to make the case that unless you have fellowship with God you cannot have fellowship one with another and if your fellowship one with another is hindered then your fellowship with God is hindered. And then he's going to use the word no. And I want to say this morning, I hadn't thought about it, but I was getting ready to come up here this morning to preach. And, and the Lord got to deal with my heart again and spoke to my heart. I'm glad that there's some certainties about being a child of God. I'm glad I'm not walking around hoping that I'm saved. But I'm glad that I know. And John's going to deal with that. He's going to deal with the fact that in chapter number 5, he said these things are written, the things that he has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down and pin down. He said, I've written these things that ye may know that you have eternal life. I'm glad this morning that I know that I'm saved. I'm glad I don't have to wait till the judgment to find out whether or not I'm born again. But I'm glad I can know and do know right now. I'm glad there's a certainty. If you walked around all your life just hoping so and thinking so and maybe and so it'd be a miserable existence of the judgment if you study the scripture of the judgment is not for us to see whether or not we're born again that's why there's two judgments there is the great white throne judgment where sinners who are unregenerated and lost without God will stand before him without excuse and be eternally damned to the lake of fire and then there is the judgment seat of Christ where all the saints will stand not to see whether or not we've done enough to get us into the kingdom that's the business of God and he took care of that when we got born again but we will give an account of every deed done in the body whether it be good or whether it be evil and I do think, and you can follow that with me if you want to, but I think there's enough in the scriptures to say that our life as we live, our relationship is some, I don't understand it all, but it's somehow or another going to affect our position in the kingdom of God. But we're going to stand before him and give an account for everything we do. But it's not about whether or not we've been born again. That's for us to know now. I'm glad I know now. I'm glad I, I've met some people along the journey and I've heard statements like, well, I'll know when I get there 100%. You better know before you ever get there 100%. 
I mean, if I had to wait, I'd hate to know that I had to wait before I stood before him in eternity with no hope of making any kind of change of whether or not I was born again. John said, these things are written that ye may know that you have eternal life. I'm glad that's right. Matter of fact, he says we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. There's all kinds of proofs and fruits to tell us that we have been born again. I believe that's right. And so he deals with fellowship and he deals with knowing and then he's going to deal with this, this word of love. And he always deals first of all with God's love. And many people get it crossed up. And there's a great misconception in our day about love and about God. Now the scriptures tell us that love is of God. Which means you cannot love unless you have experienced the love of God. That is right. And so that throws out the, out the window the argument that this generation, everybody wants to quote the verses that we read this morning. It was mentioned twice in the verses we read, both in verse number eight and then again in another verse on down that God is love. Everybody wants to quote that, but what they mean, really what they're quoting is that love is God. But that's not what the Bible says. It says that God is love. That true love, the only kind of love that is true, manifests itself in God and He gives that love to us. That's why we could sing by no coincidence, thank God this morning that I love the Lord deep down in my heart. Uh, that's what John meant in verse number 19 uh, when he said we love him uh, because he first loved us. In other words, I can love him uh, the way that I do and I can't brag about the way I love God in myself uh, because it's not even of me. According to Scripture, it's of God. And so God, okay, I don't know if it does anything to you, uh, but God uh, who is perfect, uh, who is always the same, uh, who is holy, who is right, who is everything came to me a nothing a nobody a sinner on my way to hell I couldn't get myself out I didn't even know I was a sinner I didn't even know I was headed to hell oh I might have knew it in my mind but it never had took residence in my heart but I'm glad one blessed day that the God of heaven came where I was convicted my heart illuminated my spiritual mind and let me see who I was and brought me the reality I couldn't do anything about it but he took care of it all and he saved me and let me know I saved and then he commanded me to love him and knew I couldn't do it so he put his own love inside me to love him with what a thought and God is love and love is of God but it's not the love that embraces and accepts anything coming and going. It's not the world's definition of love. Or the world's trying to redefine everything or that God's already defined. God has His definition of what love is. And you can't love according to the love of God until you've experienced the love of God. Until you've been born again. And so it tells me that a lot of people who are claiming to love a lot of people and a lot of things, they don't know what they're talking about because they've never been born again. And if you've never been born again, you don't understand love. Oh, there's the love that the world has, but that's not true love. 
There's only true love when it comes. That's why the Bible said here in verse number 17, here and that is in the love that God gave to us in verse 17, our love is made perfect. It's because it is the love of God put in us. And so I began to ponder about this thing of love. Here in the epistle of John now, we understand, and I know I, a lot of this is kind of groundwork and it seems kind of like a Bible study, but if you'll just bear with me a minute, I feel good in my heart that this is what the Lord wants us to preach on, but I feel like I need to make some things pretty clear and lay a little bit of framework and groundwork for the message. But we understand that the one that's writing here in First John, the Apostle John, is the same man that wrote John's Gospel. A lot of times they have a misconception. Many people believe uh, that John the Baptist, he didn't write any of the Bible. He was just a forerunner of Christ, a prophet that came out of the wilderness, or the second Elijah, if you will. He didn't write John's Gospel. The Apostle John, who is writing here in First John, uh, will write second and third John, and then will also be given the revelation on the Isle of Patmos. Is the same man that's writing and wrote John's Gospel. And so here in the epistle of John, John John's writing is very much the same as he wrote in the gospel of John. For in John's epistle here, he's going to use three titles to describe who God is. And it's the same three titles that he used in his gospel. And that is that he is life, that he is light, and that he is love. That's what he's going to say. And that's what he said in his Gospels. In the beginning in John chapter 1, he said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he said this Word in him was life, and this life was the light of men. And he began to talk about how that they that were in darkness would not come to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. And then in John chapter 3, he's going to say God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Same kind of language that he wrote in this chapter chapter 4 when he said here in his love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin and so he says that God can be described as life as light and as love and love is where my heart is this morning and he says herein is love he's going to tell us about the love of God that we can't comprehend. The love of God is beyond comprehension. No man can explain it. That's why I thought about it as I was getting ready for church this morning. It come back to my mind again. I don't know what page it is in the red back hymnal, but it's called the love of God. And we know it so well, most of us do, I think. Of course, says the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. And it has wonderful meaning and wonderful truth straight out of the Word of God. But if you'll look, I don't know how many verses, if it's three or four or five, but the last verse says something like this. Where the skies, where every stalk on earth the quill, where the seas fill with ink, where the skies of parchment made and every man ascribed by trade. He said to write the love of God above that would drain the ocean dry and even the sky could not contain the scripture 
go over those tracks from sky to sky. And if you look it up, look under the title, it said the last verse that was found inscribed on the walls of an insane asylum. Now I don't know so much about that man and how insane he was. I don't know what all was wrong in his life. But he had one thing right. He understood by the Spirit of God. It's not natural. That just links up with what was taught this morning. Thank God in the Sunday school hour. The natural man cannot comprehend. He cannot receive or understand the love of God. But thank God that God had revealed them unto us by His Spirit. That's what Paul said. Eyes not seen. And neither ear heard. Neither ear the heart of man. The things God's prepared for them that love Him. Not in heaven but here on earth. But the Spirit of God revealed them unto us by His Spirit. And one of those things is His love. Mankind can't write about it. It, it, it would take, uh, uh, there, there wouldn't be enough paper, ain't enough trees to cut down, enough manufacturers to make the paper, uh, not enough pens and not enough inks in the world a thousand times over to write the love of God. But yet you and I have been let in on it. And we can't boast and brag. Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing I can glory in in me. But Paul said, and I'll say, I'll let my glory be in the cross, be in Christ. I can glory this morning that I do understand the love of God. Not that I can explain it. Not that I can comprehend it. But I understand it because I've experienced it for myself. And John had experienced it. And he was writing to some people who had experienced it. If he wasn't writing to people that had experienced the love of God, he was wasting his time because the world can't receive what John's writing here. And you may be here this morning and they've been saved. And what I'm preaching this morning ain't registering with you. But I'm telling you, if you ever get born again, you'll understand the love of God. John used some words and the Lord began to deal with my heart about, about this thing of the love of God or because He loved me. And you understand the, the only reason that I can find, the only reason that the Bible gives as to why. Somebody said why. Somebody wrote a song. Why would a king leave heaven and come here? Why? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? I ain't nobody, but I'm going to tell you why. He did it because He loved me. Because he loved you. That's what John said. God, under the inspiration, this is not John's thoughts. This is not John's opinions. This is John's hand being moved uh, to write down by the Holy Spirit of God. He said God so loved the world that he gave. The only reason he gave is because he loved. We sing that song in in that paperback book, page number two, I think it is. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to confess to you some things. This morning, I, I told my wife, I don't know how long ago it's been now. Growing up, we sung that song. Probably every other service in my home church. And I'm not knocking it. It's a wonderful song. And I, I, I like to sing it. And we ought to sing it more, I think. But growing up, even after I got saved, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. After I got, before I got saved, I didn't understand it and it, it didn't matter to me much anyway. But growing up after I got saved, 
I was raised in a church, and I'm not knocking the church, but uh, there was a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of forced things. And uh, you, you can feel however you want to. I'm not knocking anybody. I'm not saying there's not good people with good intentions. But around here, when we sing Amazing Grace, we just sing what's in the book and then we stop. If you feel like you need to praise God, you, if the Spirit touches you, you can raise your hand while we're singing. One, and I don't mean that mean. But we're, we're not here to just mass produce worship. It can't be mass produced anyway. And when I was growing up, it was tradition just like that we do that sometimes, you know, in other places. When they sing Amazing Grace, they'll sing that last verse or put that verse in there to praise God. And it's just really people are raising their hand out of tradition. There's nothing of the heart in it. Well, where I grew up, the church I attended, when we got to that part on verse number two on the third day, is just like it was when you sang praise God and amazing grace. Everybody raised their hand and it kind of turned me off to it. And I don't mean that bad. And it was a long time, but I remember one Sunday morning, Brother Tim called out the number and it was since I've been here that God really worked all that out of me and worked it in me again and it dawned on me that He went to Calvary because He loved me. It's not that it had never dawned on me, but it really dawned on me that morning. And we got down there under that second verse that said they put Him in the grave. But on that third and glorious day, He rose up from the grave and He did it because He loved me. And it dawned on me again. He didn't stay dead because he knew I need to be born again and he loved me enough he got up I'm glad he did and the only explanation I can give and I don't even understand it but I'm persuaded of it by the word of God and the spirit of God is because he loved me now what about this love of God that's so beyond explanation and beyond comprehension and beyond understanding. What does the Bible say? That's how the Lord got to deal with me. And I thank John, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, I think he covers it from beginning to end, which the love of God really doesn't have an end, but you understand what I'm saying. He covers it all about the love of God. And here's what he said. There are four things, four verses that I want to look at this morning and give you what's on my heart and I'll be done. In the text that we read this morning, verse number 9, we have love. The love of God is manifested. That word manifested means to be recognized or to make the invisible visible or seen. Or to make the ununderstandable understandable. Or to bring to light that that once was in the dark. And so all down through time, they understood and knew that there was a love that God had for mankind. But the Old Testament saints had never experienced the love of God like you and I get to experience it under grace. But John said God manifested His love. He brought it to the light. He made the invisible visible. And how did He do it? He sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And so John is saying that up yonder somewhere that there is an eternal God and He has love that is invisible and it cannot be described, that cannot be explained, that cannot be reasoned or figured out that is in the dark, that is a mystery to those who are in the darkness. But God took all that love that 
was invisible and made it visible in the face of Jesus Christ. And he manifested his love toward us. That's what John said in John's Gospel chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You say, what was John saying? John was saying that I saw the love of God manifested in His Son. And though you and I were not there when Jesus walked the streets and when He touched blinded eyes and raised the dead and healed the lepers and made the lame to walk and all of the wonderful miracles in the gospel. Yet thank God we have this blessed record of a look back and through it we can see that God's love was manifested not just for them but for us. In His Son He sent Him that we could live through Him. John said He gave Him to be the propitiation. John said herein is love. Literally meaning that God's love was in Christ. That Christ was the vessel for the love of God to be manifested. Herein is love. Not that we love God. John's saying I'm not boasting or bragging about what I got or you got. He said it's God that loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for us. And so he said it's manifested. God's love has been manifested in the person of Christ. And see, that's why, and you can, I'm, not, I'm just trying to preach how it's coming to my heart this morning by the direction of God. And people can say that I'm a stickler, I, 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 I cut lines too small, but that's why I got a problem. And I understand there's some out there that, have good, that mean good things by it. Now I'm going to tell you this morning, salvation is not in a plan. It's never been in a plan. It's always been in a person. And it's in Christ Jesus. I understand that God had a plan. And it was before the foundation of the world. But God did not wrap salvation up in a plan. He made salvation to be a person. And He put it all in Christ for us. And when you take Christ out of it, we've taken it all out. When He is left out of the equation, we're left with nothing. That's why Christ said to His disciples, without me, you can do nothing. There's nothing without Him. And so God's love was manifested. It was brought to light in Christ. And even though, I'm going to tell you, and this ain't real deep, but it's deep. Even though God manifested it in Christ, that was still not sufficient for you and I individually. John said the love of God was not just manifested, but in in 1 John chapter 3, And verse number 1, he said that the love of God was bestowed upon us. He gave it. The word bestow means to give of oneself. And so that night or day or hour, whenever it was, that you got born again by the grace of God, God took that manifested love of Christ in Christ And He took that love and put that love inside of you. And that's what made you a new creature. That's what changed you. That's what made the old things passed away. That something perfect and righteous and holy was bestowed. That God literally gave of His person and put it inside you. It is right. You understand that there's something, I'm not saying you're perfect. We're far from perfect because we still live in the body of flesh. That's why Paul cried, 
Oh, who, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. But there is something perfect inside you if you're saved. Now, that does not mean that there won't still be struggles and battles and depression and low times and high times and a roller coaster in this life. But it does mean that what's inside of you never changes because it's not of you. See, everything in the Bible, and I, I feel like I'm getting way out there this morning. But everything in the Bible has two applications. There's position on practical. And so our position is what we are in Christ. It never changes. At the moment that you got born again by the grace of God, your position in Christ was sealed. It's never changed. You're no more saved today than you were that day. And you're no less saved today than you were that day. But there's also a practical part of our salvation. And that's why the writer said we're to work out our own self. That's not that me and God are working it out. But that that God's put in us, that is positional, that is eternal. Our flesh is to be put in subjection and allow the inner man to override and work it out that others can see. That's right. That is right. And so that does away and people don't like the words. And I understand. I understand the argument against preaching on eternal security in this church age we're living in because people take eternal security and the problem with it is, and I don't know why I'm off on all this, but I feel like the Lord wants me to. The problem with it is people want to hang on to that that never been saved anyway. Because they go out and live, what they want to do is they use it like a cloak of religion. And there's a vast difference between being religious and being born again. If there was no difference, Jesus would have never had that conversation with Nicodemus. He was a very religious man. But Jesus said, you must be born again. And the reason people on the other side have so much trouble with preachers scripturally preaching eternal security is because most preachers don't scripturally preach it. That's right. That's right. They claim, and I'm not knocking Bible school, if that's where the Lord dealt with your heart, if there was conviction and repentance and a new birth and a change, that's what it takes to be born again. But they claim if you come down at whatever age in Bible school or, or Sunday morning or Wednesday, whenever it was, and say some kind of words and agree to a set of facts and put your name on a card, shake the preacher's hand, or go through the baptismal pool or whatever it is and join the church and everything's okay, live however you want to, come to church on Sunday and in eternity it'll all be alright with you. But that's not according to this book. That's why Paul said if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And them old things have passed away and all things have become new. And the next verse said, and all things are of God. All them new things are of God. It'll make a change in you. If you can live any way you want to, and then come into church on Sunday morning and it not bother you. And it's an evident fact according to, not according to what I think or what the Baptists think, but according to this Bible, you're not born again. If you can do wrong and get by and it doesn't bother you, something's wrong. And it's not just that something's wrong, something's bad wrong. You're not born again if you can do wrong and get by. 
That's according to this book. That's not what Brother Logan thinks. My Bible said if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers. And that don't mean everybody in the world. That means all the people of God that are born again. He said you're a bastard and not a son. That's what the book says. That means you've never been born the correct way. You have an illegitimate birth. And I don't know how I got off on all that. But I'm going to tell you what I have is eternal. And the problem with most people, and I understand the argument on the other side, and people come and claim they get rededicated, ain't nothing in this book about that. If you ever get dedicated, you might slide back, you might have some trouble, but God will deal with you as a son, and he'll whip you and make you want to get right. But I'll tell you what eternal security does mean. It means you will do wrong. You will get out of the tracks with God. You will sin. You will go against Him. And you'll regret it. And not just because He whips you. And that's part of it. But when you see, see, I think that's where we fail. And I'm going to say we. And I know I feel like I'm running circles this morning. I feel like that's where we fail as parents in this age is only thing our children know to do is behave because we whip them if they don't. That should not be what drives our children to obey. What drives children to obey ought to see ought to be two things. Number one, they see the pleasure in their parents when they obey, and they see the displeasure in their parents when they disobey. And really what being eternally secure or eternally saved means is when you do wrong, it's not really that you dread and there is an element of that. You dread the whipping that your heavenly Father is going to give you but it breaks your heart and makes you hate yourself when you see that you have displeased your Father. And you'll want to get it right. It won't take 40 members of the church coming six days a week out of your house and begging and pleading for you to come back and get things right. It'll be worked out between you and your father. And it don't matter what anybody else thinks about it. All that ties right back into where we were this morning. And I didn't have any idea I was going to say all this, but God knew when that prodigal came home, and it don't matter how you cut the scripture, the father said he's my son. He was a son when he left, a son in the far country, and a son when he came home. And it didn't matter to the father what the elder brother thought. The father was glad the son came home. We got a lot of congregations that are way more interested in what the elder brothers think than they are in what the father thinks. And we've got a lot of congregations that are the elder brother. And all they want to do is say, God, hey, you ought not to be merciful to them. Look at me. I've been here the whole time. I've never went astray. I've never went to the far country. I've never been in the hog pit. I've served you faithfully. You're not giving me no fatted calf. And the father said, Son, don't you know all I have is yours? He said, I'm being merciful to this, my son who spent all he's got, and they're going to be some things. See, that's the part of the story that's never preached. That there's some things that boy lost down yonder that he never got back again. Oh, he got his position restored. He was a son. He got back in fellowship. But he lost some of his entitlement and some of his inheritance in the far country that he never, ever got back again. Never, ever. 
And so this business of living any old way you want to and getting by is not scriptural. And that's not the doctrine. There's a, the, the doctrine of being eternally sealed is in this book. The Bible said we've been given the earnest of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit of promise, and we're sealed under the day of redemption. That don't mean He put a stamp on us and said, now go live however you want to. And then when, the, when that roll's called, I'll call you from wherever you are. That means you're mine and you're to live like you're mine and act like you're mine and talk like you're mine and dress like you're mine on Sunday and on Monday. And when we don't, we see the displeasure in the face of the Father and it bothers us. You ever been bothered since you've been born? You ever done something? And it don't even have to be no big thing. You ever come to yourself, and I'm, I mean, I'm just confessing, we're all flesh. You ever get so busy, jump up out of the bed, you're late, you've overslept, run to your day, and about two hours later it dawns on you, you never made any time for God. Does that ever bother you? It ain't that you've been out doing awful things. It ain't that you've been living in gross open sin. But you just understand that it brings displeasure and it hurts the heart of your father. And when it bothers him, it bothers you. And I've been there. You say, you're the preacher. That's right, I've been there. More times than I care to tell. And so have you. But it bothered me. And it might take it a couple hours to dawn on me. But thank God there's something in me knows when I've offended my father and he brings it to light. It don't matter if you're really born again, it don't matter how busy you get, how swamped you are, how overwhelmed you are, there's something supernatural been put down on the inside of you. And when the Holy Spirit communicates with it that you've offended your father, he'll bring it to you. And we're not preaching this morning. I'm telling you right. Preachers don't preach and God ain't in the business of you having to sit through the whole sermon and try to figure out how you've offended God. If you've offended God, you know it. And you know what it was and when it was because you belong to Him. We have preached and we have fostered this atmosphere in the church that when somebody goes through a storm it must be something they've done wrong and they spend six weeks searching their heart and their soul for what they've done wrong and never can find nothing and find themselves in an altar saying God I know I must have done something wrong somewhere if you've done something wrong the Holy Ghost will let you know I believe that's right I believe that's right and so he manifested the love in Christ then he bestowed it Unto us when we came, wherever we were, at the altar, wherever it may be. I pastored a church one time with a young man in the church, and I believe, <coughs> I believe by <coughs> all evidences that he was born again. <coughs> and I'll never forget, I heard him testify the first time, and he talked about how backwards he was, and he said, The Lord. He didn't say it like the Lord made me a deal or worked it out for me like He wouldn't do for anybody else. But I remember Him saying, the Lord was so merciful to me. He said, I, I didn't know about going to the altar. And I'm not saying that God will do this for everybody. I believe that God expects you to acknowledge who you are. That's why He brings conviction upon you. But I remember Him saying with tears running down His face how merciful God was. He said, I didn't go that morning because I was so back. I mean, I'm talking about backwards. He said, I was so backwards I didn't know what to do or where to go or how to. 
He said, so God followed me home. And he said, I got saved in the living room beside my couch. And I believe that thanks in me by all uh, uh, evidences that he was born again. You say, what happened? God manifested and then he bestowed it unto us. He put it down inside of us. Then, ain't it amazing that people fall out with these doctrines and they say, show us Bible. That's what I'm doing this morning. He manifested it. Then He bestowed it on us. And that word bestow means to give of oneself. That does not mean that man can run to God and take a piece of God anytime he wants to. It means it takes a work of God from start to finish. And then after God bestows His love, then in verse number 16 of chapter 4 it says, And we have known and believed the love. Now this love is known and believed. That means it has assured us we have evidence of it. We don't have any trouble believing it because we've had an experience with it. Ain't that amazing? That God manifested His love in Christ. That He convicts a sinner and bestows His love upon them. And no sinner ever has to have the preacher or the church or a council tell them that they've experienced the love of God. They know it and believe it according to the Scripture. When you get born again... Nobody has to tell you what happened to you. The same God that showed you you were lost and the same God that birthed you in the family will be the same God that will evidence it to you. Let you know that you've been born again. You'll know it and believe it. And then, and I'm done this morning, and then in chapter number 3, And verse 16, now we're talking about John is writing to save folk. He's not writing to sinners, he's writing to save folk. He said, this love that we have been a partaker of, it was manifested, it was bestowed upon us, we know it, we believe it. And if you underline in your Bible, in verse number 16 of chapter 3, you ought to underline this word, hereby perceive we the love of God. Now if you don't, Read the scripture in its context, you would think that the perception, which the word perceive means to become acquainted with, to feel, or to get a knowledge of. And you would think if you don't read the verse in its context that we perceive it because he laid down his life for us. And that is the manifestation, that's the bestowal, that's the knowing and believing. But he is saying that we know in verse number 14 that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him hereby. By the love we have for the brethren, which is of God, hereby perceive we the love of God. We have a knowledge of it. We get acquainted with it over and over and over again because we love the brethren. That's what it says. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. John states and says that the greatest evidence The greatest evidence of your conversion, of your salvation, is the love of God in you for the brethren. 
He says we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. That don't mean we just that means there is a supernatural, unexplainable love in us put there by God for the brethren. And that's how we in this flesh, after we've been born again and that love's been bestowed upon us. That's that same love and we get to feel it day in and day out, become acquainted with it over and over and over again as God's love works through us toward the brethren. It is perceived. It is understood. We are given knowledge of the love of God because we love the brethren. Jesus said by this, talking to His disciples, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one toward another. And and that's in John's gospel. And twice in the gospel of John, uh, Jesus said this commandment give I unto you that uh, you love one another even as I have loved you. I've heard people say it's impossible for us to love each other the way Christ loved us. It is in the power of our flesh. But when that love from above gets put down inside us and we perceive it, it's worked through us. We love each other through the love of God the way Christ loved us. I'm glad this morning that He loves me. Sing that song, He did it all because He loved me. I'm glad this morning for the love of God Glad this morning for the truths of the scripture. I don't know why the Lord worked in such a way in my heart and brought all those other things to my heart to say. Somebody need to hear it this morning. I pray that the truth of the scriptures, if you've got some doubt or some misunderstanding, or God's are working in you, maybe you're clinging to a lot of other things. You've never been born again. I'm going to tell you, according to the scriptures, you must be born again. It has to be done through the love of God. It'll be bestowed upon you. You'll not just go take it or go when you want to go, anytime you want to, however you want to. It'll take God working on you. And He can get the job done. If He ever starts the job, He can finish it, no problem. He can let you know. You don't have to spend all your days. And I understand that we live in the flesh and there are going to be days of doubt, days of struggle. But God never intended for us to live all of our days wondering and doubting whether or not we're born again. He put all these evidence, His desire and His will that we know. That we know good enough that if He was to come today, we'd have no reservation. That's why John could say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Is He knew. And you can know because He loved you. Father, I thank You this morning for our time together. I thank You this morning for the Scriptures. Lord, that that you directed our heart to and helped us, Lord, to preach this morning. I pray the Word of God has went forth in power. The Spirit of God demonstrated and worked it in the hearts of some individual or multiple individuals to help them. Maybe, Lord, to bring some encouragement, bring a reminder, Lord, that you do love us. And I'm grateful, Lord, for your love this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the love that I have for the brethren because of the love that you put in me. I'm grateful, Lord, this morning that I can love you because you first loved me. I thank you for that this morning. Thank you for this place and this people. Bless those, Lord, who are not able to be here. Minister, Lord, I pray to their needs and their troubles and situations. 
hindrances in being here in the house of God and help them or to be able to return among the people of God to worship and get from heaven what their heart needs. Bless those who have come today and help them, I pray. Bless the remainder of the day and the service tonight and we'll thank you and praise you for what you do.